Welcome to the Global Policy Review Podcast. Every month, we'll be joined by special guests as we explore the world of tech policy and its impact on industry and society. I'm your host, Dana Poponete. As it's become increasingly clear, particularly over the past several years, crime is no longer limited by geographical or physical borders. While there is no doubt that the rise of the internet and the development of new technologies has benefited societies and economies in countless ways, our use of the internet for daily communications and activities has also come with a cost. During the global pandemic, cybercrime was up by 600%, and today, two-thirds of the world's population experiences abusive and criminal behavior online on a daily basis. Now more than ever, ensuring digital safety for users is critical. To share her story and tell us more about what needs to be done in the fight for universal digital safety, I'm joined by Flynn Adams, founder and CEO at IntelliCore. Welcome, Flynn. Lovely to have you on this episode. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Now, I'd like to kick this conversation off because I think you have a very interesting story about how IntelliCore came about, how your work in this field came about. And I think it's absolutely essential to, to this conversation that we're about to have. So if you could just share a little bit of your of your background, I think that would be very beneficial for our listeners. Of course. So I am by trade, I'm I'm a forensic technologist and an enforcement and attribution specialist. But my sort of shift into this this digital safety space, especially as it affects children, really was motivated by my also being a parent. This the work that I do is oh, I, no matter how many times I tell this story, it's always difficult to to talk about it. But I, I do think it's it's important in framing, you know, the the better part of the work that we do. But I was many moons ago. I was an executive at a at a large technology firm where simply just being a, a woman in cybersecurity made me the target of an honestly quite terrifying trolling campaign. You know, there were two individuals in particular who they pretended, you know, to be me. They created accounts online pretending to be members of my family. And ultimately, their attacks escalated into sending predators (laughs) to my house who threatened to not only harm me and end my life, but they made very similar threats to my then three-year-old son. And it was... It was crazy because, you know, I, I did, I think, what everyone does, right? You you reach out in in hopes of, you know, following the rules. You report it. And suddenly, you know, nothing was happening. And I went so far as, again, because I'm an attribution specialist, I went so far as to being able to identify those individuals and I took them to court. And the judge that sat in front of me looked at me and said, you know, if, if you don't like what people say about you on the internet, you shouldn't have a computer. And I thought this cannot possibly be the way that we respond to real threats of safety and violence. And I think what stood out to me most and what motivated building Telecore was was this terrifying reality that as a parent and as a human being, you know, how are you supposed to protect yourself and your children when the law and technology simply haven't caught up with each other yet? And as a parent, especially in my line of work, you know, what is the obligation that I had in that moment, you know, to ensure that especially for children, that there are processes in place that allow us to to control the outcome of our own digital experiences, especially when those experiences are, are dangerous. That's a very powerful story. So thank you very much for sharing that. And you you touched on the the fact that, you know, law and technology have not quite 
caught up with each other in this scenario within your work and within the scenario where have you found the most gaps to be and and what do we really need to do from the perspective of both regulation but also industry efforts <laughs> how much time do we have this is my favorite question to, <laughs> to answer <laughs> if you're okay with this i think it, like there are two distinct answers here in the gaps first i think there's really this issue of the gap between scale and the subjectivity of human experience right where we're in a world where, where two-thirds of our world's population are active targets of criminal, abusive, harassing, unwanted behavior on the internet every single day. And that abuse is still accelerating at the same rate as global internet growth. And, you know, we know that that number is not getting any smaller. So you have on, on the one side, you know, platforms that are tasked with, you know, addressing this issue at scale. And I do honestly believe that, you know, platforms, you know, they, they care about the safety and security of their users. But when you're managing what are often very deeply personal experiences of actual human beings, those issues really require context. And that just simply isn't something that applications of generalized terms of service, you know, especially when those can vary from platform to platform or, or even an algorithm can fix. And then you have also on that same side, you know, law enforcement and other responding entities who simply from a remit and a resourcing perspective, they just don't have the bandwidth to address the, the sheer volume of complaints that they're receiving every day. And what makes that even more difficult <laughs> is that there aren't really any real laws that address the matters that, that we've asked them to resolve. And I've seen it so many times in, in, in my own practice, right? You know, at best, we're applying these existing case laws or, or adding provisions to existing statutes to address a new set of problems that really require the time and the attention in the drafting of their, their own sets of laws. And then to move over to the second, second answer, you know, I think the other gap is, is really dealing with an issue that it's not so much technological as it is systemic. Does that make sense? Where you know, we're existing in a world where there are enormous investments, you know, not just money, but time and effort and energy that are that are being made in accelerating the growth and the development of technology that connects people. And that connectivity, you know, don't get me wrong, it's an amazing thing. We're living in a really exciting time in human history, but there really are no investments being made in a human being-centered approach to digital safety. And I think we've gotten to a place where so often it becomes easy for us to forget that there are actual human beings with, you know, actual problems on the other end of these platforms. And maybe that's really the place where reform needs to, to begin. How do companies like IntelliCore help to fill some of these gaps that, that you mentioned? That's a really interesting and terrifying question, right? So I think there's an important distinction that needs to be made between, you know, the difference in digital forensics as a practice and then the applications of, you know, what I guess I would call, you know, forensics light, right? <laughs> and I think it's really the latter that plays the most crucial role in, in the framework of human safety in digital communities. And don't get me wrong, right? I mean, if, if you want to be a, a forensic technologist, I support that. It's what I do. But I will warn you that you cannot unsee the things that you see every day and it will change you permanently as a human being. But but I do think that this this application of using 
forensic best practices to support human beings with, you know, a means to augment their safety decisions in a way where they have control over their over their digital boundaries. I think that's really what's important. And whenever anybody asks about, you know, IntelliCore and our set of tools and protocols, I always, always, always preface the explanation, you know, with the fact that I do not, we do not believe in an internet sheriff. We do not believe in, in policing the web. We do not believe in, in non-offensive conformity. But, you know, what I do believe is that a human being has the right to make their own determinations about their own sense of safety and they should be allowed the opportunity to address and and resolve their experiences in a meaningful way. So with IntelliCore, what we really tried to do was, was commit ourselves to building better protocols that encourage best practices so that we could allow people to participate in, in open forums safely. So for example, we have, you know, we have an asset called TRIP, Threat Resolution and Incident Preservation Platform. And the baseline principle in that architecture is that, you know, subjectivity at scale, again, is, is difficult. But if you can capture a safety incident in, in real time, in the right way, you, you can actually start to account for that context in reporting when you're trying to help people make a decision about their, their personal parameters. You know, like, again, using my situation as an example, someone were to, to send me a, a message saying, you know, your, your child looks adorable in his outfit today. You know, it doesn't violate a standard practice, but I mean, it certainly violates my my sense of safety. IntelliCore doesn't advocate at all for this idea that every dispute needs to rise to the level of criminality. And I don't think that that's what safety is about. A person's resolution preference is just as, as personal as the the event that they're experiencing, right? And And a lot of the time, I think people just, they just want it to stop, right? Sometimes they just want an apology, but that should be up to the person. So building tools in a forensic capacity is really about making sure that you're capturing an incident in a way that can be used to establish a, a meaningful resolution to, to something that you're experiencing. So you talked about some of the tools that IntelliCore has and the access to resources that different individuals can use. But before it even gets to the stage of using and actually making use of these resources for resolution, for for what have you, for making the abuse stop. I think we need to go back and talk about how do people even know that these resources are available to them and how do they even know what to really look out for in the in the digital space? What do you think is necessary here? Is it more legislation? Is it education? And if it is education, how do we educate people? I think the answer is yes to all of that, right? I mean, we've seen it so many times where there's so much villainy in this conversation globally, where there's this impulse to point fingers in every direction about whose fault it is. And I think, you know, we sort of don't have that excuse anymore. No one has a corner to hide in. And I think this is a, an, an everyone discussion. And safety, I think, really begins with, you know, this awareness and understanding that accountability is a two-way street. And you're obligated to be able to, to exercise your own digital hygiene, right? So I, I do think in large part, there is this, this big question about the gaps in education that exist between users and the interfaces that we're creating. So being able to, to collectively establish that necessary bridge in a conversation to help people not only understand what they're using, but what the potential risks are that exist 
And ultimately, safety in these environments is about understanding how to navigate those risks. And I like my favorite thing to do, especially when I talk to parents and, and to children, is I don't envy children, right? In if <laughs> not anymore, not now, because even with the very best of intentions that we as technologists have, right, in, in building spaces that connect and engage and, and promote inclu- inclusivity, you know, I think we've in so many ways failed them because we we truly forgot to codify these spaces with rules. And I always use the example that in the real world, you have to be a certain age to drive, to vote, to buy alcohol, to get married, all of these things. But somehow we've given children this unfettered access to spaces that that simply don't have rules, right? And even just sort of leaning back into your previous question about forensics, it's in developing whatever the solution is forward. I don't think that it's necessarily more forensics, more technology. I think it's a standardized process. I mean, I would love to see an independent standards body, but give everyone a seat at that table so that we're not making these decisions in isolation. I think, too, you know, when you look at your own responsibility to, as, as technologists, we really should be working backwards from a policy and regulation perspective anyway. You know, when we're building these connected environments, we really have an obligation to understand the problem before we address it. And I think that also includes awareness that none of us are absolved from future accountability just because what we're building now isn't currently applicable to, to regulatory policy. So I think it's, I don't know, it's, it's a really delicate process, right? Especially when, when it involves children. Given that this is a delicate process and we're not quite there yet in terms of sharing accountability, sharing responsibility, having universal education about risks, harms, recourse. With the rise of the metaverse, obviously this is, it will be an interactive, multi-sensory internet Do you see this as posing even more threats? And given the lack of standardization, to what extent do you think that we'll actually be able to have regulation, have policy, have standards? I think that all depends on everyone's willingness to engage in a connected dialogue. You know, so much of what we see and do is is segregated in these isolated environments, and we're trying to solve a platform issue, then we're trying to solve a law issue. And I, I don't think that will ever work, right? And <laughs> my job is so different, I think, than than most where I just, I am pessimistically biased, right? I'm the person you call when something horrific has already happened. So it's it's difficult for me not to have that, you know, wear those goggles. So yeah, I mean, again, as a parent and and as a technologist, I mean, I I, I do worry a lot that, you know, we're approaching a future where, you know, children are going to be wearing goggles to interpret their reality. And I think what's even scarier than that is what kind of anonymity exists in those environments that will sort of accelerate the abuse factors that already exist. How do you know who your children are talking to? I don't know. And I, I, I've said this a few times before too. my poor child, I keep using him as an example. But, you know, he once said to me, he's like, Mom, adults don't pretend, you know, to be kids on on the internet. And I was like, oh gosh. <laughs> so I think there has to be a truly unified approach to leveraging a solution. And it may not be a global policy solution. We may have to start locally. We may have to, you know, US policy versus 
other policy. You know, I, I think we have to, to tackle what's possible. But again, in that sort of connected, connected dialogue. You've shared a lot of concerns, rightly so, about the future. But do you have any hope? Where do you see room for optimism in this conversation? I feel badly that, you know, that it, it came off that way because it's, again, you know, I mean, my my goggles are different. But I do see a lot of promising advancements in in this area, right? I mean, I think focusing on things like a policy-first approach to digital safety. And I think we can already see, I mean, the fact that you know, we're having a conversation like this and conversations like this are happening all over. We're on the trajectory to to getting, maybe not fixing it, but to at least attempting to get it right. It's such a difficult conversation to have. The human part of you struggles with what our responsibilities are and what it means for our children in the years and decades and, and generations ahead and, and their children. And I think more so than any other generation, you know, because we are the adults who sort of responsible for the, for the growth of, of a lot of these connected environments, that we have to set the standard. But I, again, I, I do believe that we've, we've finally hit a point where these conversations will, in fact, affect meaningful change. And I think ultimately, too, when it comes to what anyone can do now, right, this is not a hopeless thing, you know, don't report because no one's going to respond to you. That's that's not at all what I'm saying. I think as users, right, of of platforms of the internet, I think if we can start allocating again that that sense of digital hygiene or personal responsibility in understanding what we're using and then, you know, do the research in terms of, you know, what tools are available. And then always there're certain tools I won't use, there're certain tools I will use, and it's personal and it it it's preference. And I think, you know, ultimately it's about always remembering that when it comes to safety, never, ever, 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 ever <laughs> let an algorithm or any single piece of technology make a decision for you. You know, resource out what's available now to help you augment those decision-making processes for yourself so that you can be in charge of your own boundaries. Well, thank you very much, Flynn. That was very powerful advice to end with. Thank you so much. Of course, thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Global Policy Review. If you like this episode and would like to hear more from our experts, you can subscribe via the link in our description or by visiting accesspartnership.com. 